Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet Live event <clears throat> excuse me, on conditioning horses, brought to you free by Farnham. Visit them online at www.farnhamhorse.com. I'm Christy West, digital editor and producer for thehorse.com, and joining us today to answer your questions about this topic are Dr. Meg Sleeper, Associate Professor of Cardiology at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine and the school's cardiology section chief, and Dr. Todd Holbrook, Associate Professor of Equine Medicine at Oklahoma State University and the equine section chief there. Um, to start off, can you both tell us a little bit about your equine passions? Well, I think I will start. Um, I'm Meg, obviously. My, um, the majority of my background has been in endurance. Um, I've been involved with endurance riding, scarily enough, for almost 30 years. And, uh, and that's the majority of my experience with uh, conditioning programs and horses. All right. Thanks for that. And Todd? Okay. So I'm Todd Holbrook, originally from <clears throat> Georgia. Uh, so I've got uh, experience as a veterinarian <clears throat> with endurance riding as far as vetting for the last 15 years or so nationally and internationally, but um, another passion outside of work uh, with horses would be riding rainers and um, showing <clears throat> reining horses with my family and been doing that about 15 years or so. Good. Very good. Well, thanks for joining us today, and thanks to everyone who's joining us today in the audience as well. Um, as always, we received far more questions for this event than we can possibly answer in the time that we have, but we picked out as many as we can to cover all the major topics of interest. Once we're through with those, if we have some time left, we'll move on to live questions. And if you would like to ask a question, hang around for just a bit to see if we already have a similar one. And if not, please type your question into the chat box at the bottom of the control panel on your screen. Please note that if you sent your question in already, you do not need to send it in again now. And let's start, go right into our first question. Uh, Joe from Alberta would like to know, how do I assess my horse's fitness level to start with? So I think I'm going to take this one. And um, although certainly at any point, Todd, feel free to jump in. Um, unfortunately, this is a little bit of a complicated question to answer because there's so many uh, important variables. If your horse is spends a lot of time in a stall, for example, that, that will mean that his basic fitness level is probably lower than a horse that's kept in pasture the majority of the time. And other things that are very important would be history. So for example, a horse that had been in a, a fairly rigorous conditioning program in the past is going to have much more of a base than a horse that may never have been in a conditioning program at all. Um, and then finally, of course, it depends on what you want to do with your horse. So if um, you're mostly looking forward to doing some pleasure trail riding, that won't require the, the type of um, aerobic base that something like eventing or endurance might require. Um, but certainly it's important to keep in mind. The, Hi, the Meg, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you speak uh, up just a little bit? People are having a little trouble hearing you. Sure. Sorry, Christy. Thanks for telling me. Um, no problem. So one of the important things to keep in mind is, is how your horse is kept on a day-to-day -day basis. So an, a horse that's kept outside is going to have more of a natural base than a horse that is kept in a stall a lot of the time. All right. And our next question is going to be from Margaret in North Carolina who says that uh, <clears throat> excuse me, her horses are pastured and worked about an hour a week. We trail ride once a month. And what level would you say that we're at in terms of fitness? Well, excuse me, I will take this one. I'm battling a cold here, so I apologize. If I go into a coughing fit, I will mute the speaker. 
Um, so it really depends um, kind of somewhat on this question. I was a little um, <clears throat> wondering exactly what type of work this lady does um, for an hour a week. So is it trotting? Uh, is it in an arena or is it trail riding for an hour a week? Um, so it really depends on how much work the horse is doing um, currently. But uh, if they are, since they are pastured, certainly they exercise on their own somewhat and probably maintain a base level of fitness. Um, so if she's trail riding, you know, short distances once a month uh, and it's not a real real high speed, if it's four miles an hour or less or so, uh, fairly limited distance, I would say 10 miles or something, they're probably fit to do that um, in, in an environmental situation that's not, ex, you know, of extreme high heat or humidity. Um, all of those are, are a factor as well as the horse's coat. Um, I would think she's probably got those horses for the level of work that I'm assuming she's doing. Um, they're probably okay uh, for mild trail riding at a moderate pace. All right, thanks for that. And John from Colorado would like to know, how do you know when you're doing too much too soon when you're getting a horse back in shape? Wow. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know if you want to bounce into this one, Meg, but um, a lot of that is experience. I think... Um, you know, if you you got to really watch your horse and, and watch their legs and watch the respiratory rate and know when they're telling you that, that you've done too much um, just on an acute basis uh, of one exercise bout. But um, certainly you start gradual if it's a, a horse coming out of recovery or something and, and being stalled or something, you're going to start slow and, and gradually build it up. Um, yeah, the yeah. only thing I might add to that, Todd, and I'm sorry, I, I, I thought that I was, I was going to jump in because I thought that that was one of my questions. I'm sorry, uh, maybe I'm... But no, I think you're right. But um, in any case, I, I think that it's important to keep an eye on how well your horse is eating and is his appetite good. And I mean, certainly um, some horses are hard to catch whether or not they are enjoying their work. Um, but in a horse that doesn't have the bright look in his eye and, and just doesn't have the same... Um, enthusiasm for work that he had before that to me that would be a sign that that you're progressing a little faster than you might want to all right very good and Maria from Virginia would like to ask you to outline a conditioning program for just a casual pleasure horse how hard do you work the horse and how often um, so once again this depends a little bit on how the horse is kept so um, I'll say right off the bat that my horses are out on pasture 24 hours a day um, so I think that that helps a lot with them maintaining um, some conditioning. And in a horse that's outside, the majority of the time um, they're out moving around because obviously horses are like us, they're individuals, and some of them move a lot less than others. It really is going to depend on, on how much, what you would consider casual pleasure activity. If it's, um, you know, maybe an average pace of six miles an hour for five to ten miles, um, perhaps weekends or a couple times a month. I think most horses can actually maintain that as long as you're riding them one to two times a week and they're outside quite a bit. And and you would want to ride at, a, at basically the type of speed that you are hoping to do when you go out for your for all of your jumps. So that's you want to prepare at the speed that you hope to build up to. Um, so so, Christy, do you think that was clear enough, or should I? Yeah, I, th I think so. Okay. 
And um, one thing I'd like to ask, uh, relative to something we discussed earlier about horses getting some exercise if they're pastured versus stalled, um, we have a question from our live audience. Uh, Pam would like to know, how much pasture area are we talking about for a horse to maintain some condition? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, that's um, nice. You know, because it's got to be large enough, you know, several acres, in my, in my opinion. And yeah, the bigger, the better. Yeah, and that's obviously regional. There are lots of areas where the paddocks are, are going to be quite a bit smaller. So um, in, a, in a horse that is confined in a small paddock and doesn't have perhaps access to an acre or two, um, I would consider that actually fairly uh, similar to being stalled. Yeah, I agree. To being stalled than, than to, to what I'm calling pastured. Yeah, I agree. All right. And Francis from Florida would like to know about conditioning rescued horses. So I'm assuming it, by this we mean horses that are unfit and underweight and trying to bring them back into condition. I, I interpreted that question the same way and, and I, <clears throat> because a lot of horses that are rescued are actually underweight. So to me the answer to this question is more based on nutrition, adequate nutrition, making sure their dental health care is appropriate and, and um, refeed them a certain way if they were neglected to the point of starvation and that's a totally different topic but good quality forage, good quality pasture, gradual um, weight gain is what you're after and usually with a horse that's under condition as far as um, weight um, most often it takes several weeks to really see that visibly if you don't have scales to measure a horse's weight um, for us to perceive it typically it takes three weeks or so to see that so um, if she's talking about exercise, you know, a lot of those horses um, may have skeletal issues, you know, lameness, something like that. So I'm assuming she means weight gain on those rescue horses. All right, very good. And I would like to mention as well that we have a uh, horse weight calculator on thehorse.com that you might want to check into. Basically, you take a couple of body measurements on your horse, plug those into the calculator and estimate weight. You can monitor your horse's weight over time by just repeating that exercise. Um, also, now let's talk about the other side of the coin. Julie from New Jersey would like to know about uh, some best some tips for conditioning overweight horses, uh, miniatures in particular, <laughs> and how stern you should you start them out. Oh, excuse me. So, um, all the next three questions I believe were were related to potential obesity situations, and with with minis, I guess the option. Uh, of pulling a cart as far as the mode of exercise <laughs> needs to be considered. But minis, um, much like ponies, are very prone to metabolic syndrome where there's a, an issue, a problem with insulin sensitivity and they um, are prone to obesity and other problems like laminitis. Um, so getting weight loss with a certain level of exercise in horses that are obese and or especially if they do have metabolic syndrome, um, the level of exercise ultimately is, is probably more than is required for um, maintenance of fitness or, or development of fitness in a, in a horse that doesn't have metabolic syndrome. Um, but really if, if this horse or pony or mini has metabolic syndrome uh, in addition to a, a strict exercise program typically diet restriction is necessary. So exercise alone, if they truly have metabolic syndrome, is probably going to be tough um, to lead to, to significant changes unless it's 
higher intensity and, and longer term. Um, certainly diet along with exercise is important if they have metabolic syndrome. All right. Very good. Thank you for addressing all that. Um, our next question is from Marion in Texas who would like to know, aside from lunging, what groundwork can you do that will hold the horse's interest or will it be more fun for the horse and keep him from getting sour? So the types of things that um, I've, I've used personally is um, I actually do a fair bit of in just groundwork and handwork, uh, a lot of lateral exercises that I use mostly just for training, um, but also to develop balance and range of motion. And I think that as the horses uh, learn and develop, they actually do begin to quite enjoy and look forward to that, those kinds of exercises. They're also really helpful before a competition to get them to sort of focus on you and, and perhaps relax if they're otherwise getting kind of excited. Um, and then the other things, which I can't say that I necessarily do that much because I'm not that talented, would be ground driving and long lining. I've done a little bit of it. I think that, that both of those techniques are, are really wonderful ways to condition and teach a horse to balance, but they sometimes require a little bit of training for the handler. Um, and I've also seen people use sort of mazes with cavalettis raised and, and ground poles. Um, and I think that's more to build uh, not so much conditioning, but a rapport with the horse and just to get them used to problem solving with the handler. But that's also something that can really keep horses mentally active with you. Sure. And the good news about ground driving is that unless you're only doing it in circles, if you're following along with the horse at all, it's conditioning both of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's very true. Um, I'd like to, uh, I, I, having done a lot of this, I can, I can speak to this. Um, we have a couple of questions from our audience addressing our earlier um, comments about pasture and having lots of pasture available for the horse to exercise in. We've got a couple of people who say they're a little bit concerned about having their horses out on a large pasture for a long period of time because they're worried about pasture-associated laminitis. Other than a grazing muzzle, what suggestions might you have for that? So I'll jump in here, and I think there's actually a question later about a grazing muzzle, um, perhaps. But I, so I've found for myself, and these horses, the majority of my horses that um, are in conditioning are are heading towards endurance. So they're in fairly rigorous conditioning schedules, and I have not had any problem with them as far as, um, I mean, they're on pretty lush grass, but they're working hard enough that they don't actually become obese, um, or even fat, it just means like probably give less grain than, than they might otherwise need. For the few horses I have that are retired that are living in similar circumstances, they're all muzzled. Um, not obviously in the winter, at least in this region, but um, they're pretty much from spring through, through fall muzzled 24 hours a day because otherwise they just become so obese. And unfortunately, um, my, I always feel a little guilty muzzling them, but they definitely are healthier. Uh, not having that extra layer of fat on them. Sure. Very good. And uh, let's see, our next question is from Carla in North Carolina who would like you to address how to safely cool down a horse after conditioning exercise. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, so part of that answering that question really depends on how hot they are. Um, so if it's just a typical workout and it's not um, Oklahoma or Georgia in August and you know 98 or 105 and 60 to 85 percent humidity. Uh, if it's just a typical workout and your horse does not look overheated, you know, then, then a water hose and a nice breeze. But if it is 
a horse that is definitely overheated and or is very hot and you are working in strenuous um, or in environmental conditions that can lead to a lot of heat accumulation rapidly, then really you need to cool them off as fast as you can and that's with large volumes of water, cold water, ice water, as much as you can get your hands on and, and pour it all over the horse, mainly on the neck and areas where the there are major blood vessels that, that you can cool the blood rapidly that um, leads to faster internal cooling and you can put cold water on the insides of the legs where the major veins are in the limbs uh, and even over more large muscle groups. Um, there's kind of a old wives tale about um, not putting really ice cold water on their rump and stuff and some people believe that so if you want to avoid that area okay but um, I, I, don't, I don't think most horses have a problem with it when they're excessively hot. Um, some of these horses that are worked in the heat at higher levels of exercise can get rectal temperatures of approaching 108 you know readily if it's anaerobic type work on a three-day horse or something um, coming off the D phase or whatnot but um, so cool them rapidly with ice cold water um, stand them in the shade allow um, exposure to the wind if you have it or put a fan in front of them um, and drinking I do believe you know, some horses that aren't trained to drink, like endurance horses, are typically trained to drink, and I don't worry as much uh, about when <clears throat> endurance horses uh, drink. I worry when they don't drink. Um, but other sports, if they're not trained to drink and they're very hot, um, may limit water intake as far as amount and how cold it might be. Um, but a lot of times when they're that hot, they don't want to drink anyway, no matter what sport they're in. Sure. It's it's amazing how hot how hot they can get and how much heat you can pull off. I remember the recent World Equestrian Games here. Um, Tracy Turner was running around. That's a veterinarian that we work with sometimes. Was uh, running around with his thermography camera, taking pictures of horses on course and uh, at the at the uh, after the finish, cooling out after the combined driving. And that was really really interesting to see how quickly how quickly they heated back up once they stopped. How, how quickly oh, yeah. their skin temperature came up when they stopped. And, how and much heat you can pull off. Exactly, and it's really important when you do have a horse that that is definitely overheated. Um, you need to go back and monitor that horse after you think they're cooled off because they can heat back up. Absolutely, and that actually, <clears throat> excuse me, brings us to our next question about about heat, which is uh, from Terry in Florida, who would like to know some guidelines for exercising a horse in the heat. And coming from Florida, it's a perfectly valid concern. And, uh, and coming from Florida, it's probably going to be humid too. And, and that really, I think, is a big variable with how horses handle the heat. If it's not very humid, they can handle pretty hot ambient temperatures. Um, but once the humidity starts creeping up, it becomes a lot harder for them to maintain a cool body temperature, especially if they're working. And certainly the driving horses are um, sort of a classic example of horses that are working at an aerobic uh, level and, and can become really, really hot. I've seen them at 109 um, at the end. So um, as far as your own personal horse, if it's a really hot and humid day, um, that will be, I really apologize for my Jack Russells. Um, <laughs> we all understand Jack Russells, it's okay. <laughs> and, and pretend to pretend they're not mine. Um, so <laughs> if it's your own horse, the types of things to be looking for would be, um, are, I mean, certainly if they stop sweating, that's bad. Um, and you want to make sure that your horse is 
sweating normally. And um, one of the things that I think is sort of become confused is this whole issue of pulse and respiration inversions. In competitive trail riding, that used to be this critical thing that an inverted horse was um, potentially pulled from some competitive trail rides. And people became really funny about inversions, um, meaning that the respiratory rate is higher than the pulse rate. And really, that's just a sign that the horse is trying to maintain his body temperature in a normal range. They're trying to get rid of heat by breathing at a faster rate. Um, so in itself, it's not a problem, but it could be a sign that your horse is getting too hot. So if you notice that your horse is breathing uh, faster than normal, I think, as Todd said, it's critical to check the temperature and really keep an eye on those things um, because it's very easy for them to become very hot and then they need to be cooled. If the breathing rate's normal, uh, the, the amount of sweat is, is normal for your horse, and obviously this comes down to knowing your horse, um, I think many horses are able to tolerate and actually learn and, and become conditioned to tolerate these uh, these uh, temperatures and humidities as they are conditioned, if that makes sense. They get better at handling the temperature. Sure, uh, definitely so. Uh, people seem to do the same thing pretty well also. It uh, brings me to actually a first uh, question I'd like to ask our audience, uh, just for fun. Do you know your horse's resting heart rate? Take a minute, vote on that. We'll go on to our next question. Uh, our live audience attendee, Sally, has a question about uh, some of the comments earlier about training a horse to drink. Um, how do you do that? Wow, I guess this has to be me because I'm not a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to have that because <laughs> I'm not sure how to train a horse to drink. Um, I think, I do think that as horses, um, become more experienced in uh, whatever their sport is, but certainly for me, my endurance horses, you know, the young horses, it, it may take, they're kind of excited about everything. They may not uh, relax in some of the vet gate areas the way an experienced horse will. And as you, uh, they gain more experience and they do gain fitness and they basically learn the ropes, a lot of our horses, they know as they come into a vet gate area that they drink and then they just get vetted through and they sit there and eat. And it can be a very agitated, busy, um, excited area and you'll see 100 or 150 Arabs sitting there munching their hay, which is pretty interesting in itself. Um, so they definitely, as they just gain experience, I think learn what they need to do to take care of themselves. Sure. Perfect. And our next question is from Loretta in New Jersey, who would like to know, when you first start riding a young horse, how long does it take for his back muscles to become fit? Well, is that one mine, Meg? Um, <laughs> I was coughing. I was sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to just turn my mute button off and, and on and keep coughing. But um, oh. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but um, I do know that when horses are laid off for a period of time, whether it's my own or horses that are laid up for some illness, whether it's a lameness or any other reason or they're just not worked and put up in a stall, um, that their top line is, is something that's very noticeable um, when it's not 
like it was when they were fit. Um, I think in general that takes upwards of, a, of six weeks, I would think, four to six weeks, depending on how much top line they've lost. That's my gut feeling. What do you think? I think that would make sense that um, I mean, muscles in general tend to take like four to six, eight weeks to really gain strength and conditioning. I do think it's probably a little dependent on the individual. Some horses, you know, their backs just seem to be a little more sensitive. And if you're actually putting weight on them, and, and of course then there's the saddle fit issues and lots of things that can make it a little bit harder to develop the back. Um, but I think if, if all is going as it should, or as we hope it goes, that probably four to six weeks is about what it takes. Yeah, I mean, as far as a young horse, uh, you and I have talked before about how interesting it is to see or watch a young horse that's just put under saddle develop and how their whole top line changes, their withers change, their shoulders change, their back changes, and, and that type of change, if that's what she's asking, that type of change takes a whole lot longer, but you definitely have to watch saddle fit, and as, as a horse grows, their skeleton matures and all that, that change that occurs with fitness, um, especially when they're young, the back really dramatically changes. All right, very good. I'll share the results of our poll real quick. Um, do you know your horse's resting heart rate? 54% of our audience says yes, and 46% says no. We're going to change gears a little bit and talk about nutrition for conditioning horses. Uh, Kim from New York would like to know, should a horse's diet change while you're conditioning? So um, this, it, this is an excellent question, and I think it's something that, um, it, once again, really depends on the horse. Um, I don't necessarily change anything um, in my horses that are starting into conditioning. I, I base the decision on how well they're maintaining their body weight. So if, for example, it's the summer and I have this pasture available and the horses are on pasture, I have horses that are actually in um, endurance conditioning that don't get any concentrate at all, no grain at all. Um, in reality, a lot of my horses, once they're in more um, advanced training, they need grain um, just to maintain their, their body weight. But it really is going to depend on the individual, how hard they're conditioning and what access to forage they have. Personally, I prefer to, to uh, minimize the concentrate as much as possible and maintain as much body weight as possible with um, hay or grass. I just think it's much more, it's just healthier for the horse. Yeah, sure. I, would, I would agree with that totally, especially uh, in light of the concentrate. Minimize it f uh, and target it for the level of work. Um, certainly some some sports, you know, race training and whatnot, those horses um, with high anaerobic type exercise, they are on a high grain diet, but it has its problems that come along with it, usually GI oriented. oriented. So if you can minimize the carbohydrates and, and um, direct it towards the level of work, I think is right, just like you said. All right, and James from California would like to know if we should add salt or electrolytes to the diet during training. So electrolyte supplementation is actually a pretty um, hot topic in the endurance world, and there, there are some people that certainly um, actually, well, there are a lot of people that feel very strongly horses need electrolytes uh, during competition or a lot of work, and others that actually 
uh, don't use them. I think a lot of it depends on your region. I should start by saying um, free, free choice access to salt is critical in all horses. So that's obviously something that they all need in their stall or in their pasture or paddock. Um, electrolytes as, as sort of supplements that are either offered in a bucket of water or a lot of times um, people will add it to the grain or maybe a, a dose syringe. Um, I personally only use them during um, competition or if I'm doing a, a very rigorous conditioning day. And for me, I kind of determine it based on if I think the horse is, is sweating and and by sweating, I mean, you know, really actually working fairly hard for an hour to an hour and a half. In that situation, I would supplement them. Um, I think in reality, most horses, if they have access to salt and they're doing that just maybe once or twice a week, a couple times a week, they can actually maintain an electrolyte balance on their own. Um, but I just, I, I feel like it, it's a reasonable thing to give it to them if they're working that hard. Right. And Bonita from Nevada would like to know if you recommend any supplements during conditioning work. Um, I think that's my question. I assume she is inquiring about dietary supplements, and um, in general, I would say no. Um, I think if your horse is on a balanced diet, good forage, <clears throat> excuse me, balanced grain, uh, good commercial grain. If it needs it for its level of work, then, then that's probably all it needs. Um, if she means joint supplements, um, and we'll talk about that here with the next question, I think. Right. Which, absolutely, um, Christina from New York wanted to know if you had any favorite supplements for creaky joints or lameness problems. Okay, so um, with creaky joints, actually, um, some creaky sounds are, are normal, um, so certain pops and creaks um, can be, quote, normal, um, even in young horses, and not necessarily mean that there's a problem. Um, but as far as supplements for joint health maintenance in an exercising horse, um, I definitely believe in them. Um, some of the, the ones that I tend to, to reach for more often are those that are injectable be they um, gly glycosaminoglycan type products um, or hyaluronic acid type products um, would be the two most common ones that I would choose. All right. Thanks very much for that. And our next question is from Jen in Ontario. We would like to know, what are your recommendations regarding fat and protein supplementation for a hard-keeping horse? I can jump in here because I think Todd may be coughing. <laughs> okay, no problem. Because <laughs> I think originally we thought he was going to answer this, but no problem. Uh, Take it. So I, I actually personally, in, in most of my in, endurance horses, even though they're not um, thoroughbreds that are in show jumping, if if I'm trying to to give them to keep the calories on, I'll actually use corn oil or um, I've used flax or basically a, a fat product to try to keep the concentrate amount as low as possible and keep their calories up. Um, I actually think protein, we tend in general to give probably higher levels than most horses need. Um, my guys, and, and you know, even the guys that are in pretty high work, 
Um, I give them an 11% protein concentrate, and that's kind of a, about what most forages will have, good quality forage. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily supplement protein, but I think supplementing fat can be really useful to help maintain uh, body condition in a horse that's working hard. I agree right. totally. Thank you for answering that. <laughs> I was going to say something very similar, but I couldn't get back on right, right then. Sorry. So that the uh, I agree that the protein is typically over supplemented. Uh, even the types of grains that are marketed, um, usually 10 to 12 percent is about all you need. Uh, and then fat, whether it be corn oil like you mentioned or, or rice bran type supplements that are upwards of 20 percent fat. Um, it's a great way to add calories that that are um, low risk when compared to to carbohydrate type calories. Risk, yeah. All right, and um, back to supplements. Um, we've got a question from Margaret in the audience who would like to know what you think about oral joint health supplements. Wow, sorry. Okay. So are you, <laughs> you're so quick on the mute button. We don't even know you're having trouble. <laughs> so, uh, I I have less experience with the oral products as far as my personal horses. Um, I am concerned. Um, or I'm less concerned with the injectables because I uh, am aware of fairly good research that convinces me that, that they're bioavailable. Um, do you, that's about all I can probably say. Well, I'll, I'll give you my two cents and just keep in mind that that's what opinions are called for a reason. Um, they're just opinions. So I do give my horses oral joint supplements. Um, I the research that I've the I should say the research I'm aware of that shows that they're effective basically is looking at horses with joint disease so horses that are lame and have problems and therefore I don't honestly know if being on a joint supplement is helping my horses at all fortunately the ones that I'm competing are are all okay and that's why they're being competed but at least um, I rationalize it by saying, you know, if they go out and do 100 miles of work, I believe there's a good chance there's some micro injury, and I just want to help them as best I can. So I think as long as you recognize that it's unclear how helpful it is, um, particularly in a horse without a problem, I, I, it's unlikely to, to cause a problem. All right. Thanks for that. And Megan would like to know, uh, has a starting with a comment, humans should consume carbs and protein two to three hours after a workout to aid recovery. She'd like to know if it's the same is true of horses. Um, so the carb component here is, is probably what she's um, aiming at. So with, with energy that's required for muscular work is um, stored in the muscle as glycogen and that comes from carbohydrate um, metabolism primarily. Um, humans have a much more rapid ability to store that energy form, <coughs> excuse me, in the muscle um, with carbohydrate consumption. Um, with horses, it, it's not near as efficient. <coughs> so uh, depending on the type of work that a horse is doing, certainly with uh, multi-day rides or long endurance rides, they deplete more of their glycogen and they, they eat you know, through vet checks, and that is definitely very important. Um, with other types of work, it's probably less important, um, and they replenish it. Sometimes with depletion, it takes upwards of three days to replenish it in the muscle, um, 
<coughs> excuse me, and the type of feed generally um, isn't a huge influence. All right, and our last question on nutrition. Stephanie from Nebraska would like to know what your thoughts are on vitamin E supplementation for healthy adult horses and moderate to heavy exercise. Meg, would you mind jumping so, in on that? No, I'll jump in on this. Although... Excuse me, I think that was mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you jump okay? right in here anytime. Oh, I'm good with it. But go ahead. I was just going to say I think it's important to be aware of the area that you live in because certainly there's some regions where vitamin E levels are low in the forage. And um, I do monitor my horses to make sure that their levels are, are good. Um, I personally don't supplement vitamin E because I've never had any of them being in the low range, but I think it, it's very important to be aware of it, um, particularly depending on the region you live in. All right. Very good. And I'm going to take a moment to put up another quick poll of our audience. What type of conditioning is most important to you and your horses? If you wouldn't mind, take a moment to ask, answer that. And we'll move on to a little bit different topic, uh, just getting horses more fit, which is kind of why you're here. Uh, Sarah in North Carolina would like to know, what are some of the most common mistakes in conditioning horses? Um, well, I'll jump in first. I think, and, and again, my, my background is mostly endurance, um, but I think that it's very common in endurance riders actually to, to over-condition. Um, I, I think it's, it's interesting how well horses maintain their, their condition and their fitness, and it's, they're so far superior as far as being natural athletes to humans that a lot of times you'll talk to people that are marathon runners or athletes themselves and just assume that the horses need to do a lot of conditioning to become fit. And in reality, um, while they certainly do need to be in fairly rigorous work to compete at a very high level, that also runs the risk of that balance with lameness and injury and, and actually having problems. So I think that a really common mistake is that people actually will over-condition. Okay. And uh, she also would like to know what are some of the things that you look for when increasing your horse's fitness, so maybe some signs of better fitness or signs of overconditioning, as you just mentioned. So for me, I actually use heart rate and heart rate recovery quite a bit. Um, so I do, do know what all my horses' resting heart rates are. Um, and normal for, for most horses would be somewhere between 28 to 44 beats per minute. And what's important is um, not only how high they get while you're exercising, which obviously can be hard to detect unless you happen to have a heart rate monitor, um, but also how quickly they return to, to normal after you're done exercising. So in horses that as they get fitter, the recovery time shortens, so they're, they return to a normal heart rate quicker. Um, and that, that is a really useful um, thing to measure to know that you, you can start increasing your, your uh, conditioning regimen. Um, if you do have access to a heart rate monitor and you're doing a, a uh, consistent uh, workout or loop, some horses, you, you'll notice that for the certain speed that you're going, their working heart rate will be lower. So that's a sign that that horse is fitter and you can now increase the workload. And then the other thing that I think is really important that a lot of us um, tend to forget because we're busy is, is just all the little wear and tear things that happen that you might not see until a couple hours later or maybe the next day. So I try to at least once every day, usually when the horses are in getting fed, 
just run my hands over their legs, um, feel for any puffiness, we'll call them uh, wind puffs, any, certainly any heat, any signs of wear and tear in their legs, that would be a sign that you, you need to rest them for a few days or back off a little bit. All right. Good tips. Good tips. Uh, Antonia from Texas would like to know what you suggest as an optimal warm-up, under saddle or otherwise. So I, I wasn't sure if um, this question actually meant warming up the horse or the rider. Um, I, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I am notoriously bad about warming up myself. Um, I actually usually just mount and go. Um, I, I actually know a I have a good friend who swears by hula hooping to uh, warm up before an endurance ride and has gotten many people involved in hula hooping, which is quite the sight, I have to say. Um, so, but certainly there are lots of books and articles on different stretching um, methods just to stretch yourself out before you ride, and I think that that is a really good idea. As far as the horse, I usually will hand walk my horse um, uh, for at least five to ten minutes, and this is before a competition. I don't necessarily do this at home, I have to be honest, but for a competition I would hand walk for five to ten minutes, get on and, and walk, and then jog a little bit, and then uh, if it's a really big competition, I might actually canter some to really make sure they're very warmed up before, before the start of the event. If I'm at home and I'm just going out on trail, I'll just spend some time doing a little bit of walking on a loose rein so they can stretch and then ask them to come up into a little bit of a frame at least and and then uh, more of a power walk for maybe five to ten minutes before starting their work. All right. Good tips. Um, <coughs> let's see. Uh, Kay Lynn from Montana would like to know how long does it take to get a horse in top condition? Um, so this question once again, it's going to really depend on, on what you want to do with your horse. Um, I would say, personally, I believe for a, a top endurance horse, it's going to take at least two or three years. Um, now, on a horse that maybe is off the track and had some base before they went into an endurance conditioning program, it may be a little less, maybe closer to two years. But it takes quite a bit of time to really um, condition the harder tissues in the body, meaning the ligaments, the tendons, and the bone. And if you start going too fast before those tissues are, are conditioned, you really run the risk of, of injuries, which you know, then, of course, can, can really be a huge issue for you long term. So I, I personally believe that, that that's how long it takes a horse, probably eventing in a lot of those different sports to, to really pre be prepared for the top level. Now, if you're talking about going out and, you know, enjoying a, certainly a, um, a competitive trail ride, a pleasure ride, you can do a 25 or 50 mile ride, which certainly sounds like a lot of miles in a horse that's been in conditioning for just maybe four to six months. The key to keep in mind is it's the speed that kills and you have to stay um, at a slower speed if you if you want to do those longer distances in a horse that isn't as fit. Right. Thank you for that. I just wanted to share the results of our latest poll. What type of conditioning is most important to you and your horses? 44% of you say it's cardiovascular fitness. 28% say it's muscle de development. The other 28% say it's flexibility. 
We'll move into our next question from Mimi, who would like to know, should today's generic show horses, for example, hunters, have conditioning time as well as arena riding and lesson time? So I'll, I'll take that one. So I've, um, I'll just relate it to the rainers that we show. And I think um, from a standpoint of conditioning mentally, um, that it's very important to try to give them a different job every once in a while. Um, physical conditioning um, outside the arena as well, depending on what type of riding you're doing in the arena. I think long trotting, um, you know, across pastures and uphills and stuff um, can provide an opportunity for better physical conditioning um, than, than just light arena work in comparison. But I think definitely mentally that a lot of these horses need a break from the arena. Absolutely. I was lucky enough growing up that we, when our horses needed a break, we took them to the beach and worked them in the sand, and it was good, good for their brains and for their legs. Our next question is from Kara in Ohio, who would like to know some time frame guidelines for fitting a horse, like maybe does it take X number of months to build muscle, Y number of months to build wind, and Z to build stamina? Uh, so I think I sort of hit on this a little bit in the last question or a recent question. Uh, muscle is going to develop the fastest. so. Um, and that includes heart muscle. So heart and skeletal muscle, usually six to eight weeks, it'll actually be as strong as it's going to get. Um, however, the, the denser tissues um, are going to take a lot longer. So tendons may take six to eight months. Bone can take uh, 12 to 16 months, up to two years even. So um, it really just depends, as, as you said in the question, on, on the tissue you're looking at. As far as building wind, I think that that basically is the anaerobic training. And um, that actually doesn't take that long. That goes along with the muscle. Um, the problem is when you start going into that anaerobic zone, um, if you don't have the base there, then base meaning the bones are strong, the tendons and ligaments are strong, you run the risk of, of having an injury. All right, very good. And Deddy from Virginia would like to know if you recommend any special tips for managing conditioning horses that have allergic conditions that can cause breathing difficulties. I'm thinking heaps, perhaps. So yeah, I, um, as far as conditioning, um, types of conditioning, no, but uh, areas where you do that, yeah, you definitely need to make sure it's not dusty areas, um, dusty arenas. Um, you know, some horses develop allergic heaves to um, pasture associated allergens in the summer. So it really depends a little bit on what type of um, heaves we're talking about. But if it's a pasture associated, then I wouldn't ride that horse in the pasture. I'd be trying to manage them in, in a um, stall and, and avoid dust with either type. Um, and then there are certainly medications um, that you can get with your veterinarian with um, about using as far as um, trying to control that inflammation. But a big part of it is management, whether you wet your hay, um, use feed good quality hay that's not dusty or moldy. Um, may have to use pellets on a horse that has severe allergies, um, but a big part is management, but there are medications um, to use as well. And uh, depending on the level of work, um, it can certainly impede um, performance, sure. depending on the type of work and the severity of the condition. All right. Thank you for that. And Latina from South Carolina would like to know, is there a certain heart rate you should target to maintain, uh, you should maintain for a set amount of time to increase fitness? Um, so 
Um, so that's actually an excellent question, but it, um, I think, is uh, focusing more on to increase anaerobic. And it sounds like the majority of the listeners are interested in cardiovascular fitness anyway, so this probably is good. Um, so once the horse has, has a good base on him, and for me, that would be, well, I, let me, once again, my two cents. Um, for the first four to six months that, that I'm, because I breed my own horses, so I have them from a very young age. So after they go into training, I spend four to six months with them just learning balance, um, basic, basically schooling and basic dressage work. So they learn how to carry themselves and develop the strength to be able to do that and the flexibility. Um, and while they're doing that, we do a fair bit of um, cross country, but it'll be mostly walk trot. As they develop that base, I start mixing in some speed. Um, and that's basically to increase their their um, anaerobic threshold and also so that in my sport, heart rate recovery is very, very important. And in order to, to get good cardiovascular fitness, you really need to get the heart rate higher than 150 to 160 for at least probably one to two minutes. Um, there are different ways to do this. I think probably the, the way that most people do it at this point is something called interval training. And that would be um, a period of maybe five to 10 minutes where the horse is working at a lower heart rate, maybe a, a trot or a jog, even a lope. And then um, for one to two minutes, the heart rate uh, is increased because you increase the workload either by speed or perhaps using some hill work. Um, the goal would be to get over 150 or 160 beats per minute. I think at one point there was a question about the maximal heart rate in a horse. It's actually 220 to 230. That would be a horse on a sprint. And I personally do not have the guts to actually usually do that with my horses because I'm so worried on the trail about them potentially injuring themselves. So to get their heart rates into this range, I will usually use an incline or a hill. And, and that makes it a lot easier to get into that anaerobic threshold and build the uh, cardiovascular fitness while minimizing risk to their legs and, and to my neck. Yeah. <clears throat> Very good. Um, and let's see, we've got a couple of questions here about monitoring heart rate and fitness. Um, Adrian from Washington would like to know the best ways to measure improvements in fitness, and I'm assuming heart rate is going to be a part of this. Yeah, I, I personally would use, well, so I, I use a heart rate monitor, um, and um, I think that is one of the, I mean, it's a very easy tool and, and makes it very easy to monitor. And, um, and now there are these you know, really high-tech devices that will actually uh, can be downloaded into a computer and, and give you a lot of information. Uh, the heart rate monitor I use just has the heart rate. But I can monitor what the horse is doing in real time, which is really useful for me. And then once I'm done riding, I also monitor that heart rate recovery for how quickly they recover. Um, most, horse, most endurance horses, and this is going to be different for every um, sport, certainly, and body build, but most endurance horses should recover uh, to a heart rate of about 64 within you know, five minutes if they're not being worked excessively. Um, Certainly, sometimes with the conditioning program, you want to work them excessively, and it may take longer. But it's something to keep track of, and I think that's a really useful uh, log to keep so you can monitor your horse's um, 
progression um, in fitness training. Mm -hmm. That leads very well into our next audience poll. Do you monitor your horse's heart rates uh, during or after exercise? Take a minute to let us know. We'll move on to our next question uh, from Judy, excuse me, um, from Mimi, who would like to know if trotting is the best gait for foundation conditioning. So mm. I'll, are you going to jump in first time? No, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so, um, can say coming from a competitive trail ride and endurance background uh, for a very long time um, you know we were all sort of is drilled into us that trotting was a safer gait than a canter because with the trot there are always two legs on the ground at any one time whereas at a canter there's obviously a, a period of time when only one leg is carrying the horse um, I, I have to say that I I my personal feeling on this now is that a um, easy ground cover and canter is a lot less stress on the horse than a extended trot and is less likely to injure the horse. However, I do think that trotting is a really important gait for developing strength and um, in the early, and I don't want to say only the early stages, um, some horses I think can very easily get to a point where they just are not able to have the, the range of speeds at the trot because they canter so much. So I think trotting is very, very important. I just think that um, depending on what was meant by this question, that the cantering is, is also a, a absolutely fine for the endurance or competitive trail horse. Right. And Laura? And, and I would add that, sorry, um, whoops, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you there. I was just going to add for different sports like uh, reining, certainly, you know, we may use trotting to kind of warm a horse up, um, but typically most of the most of the gates at a lope, um, so much of the conditioning is done at a lope, and, and you know, in younger horses. Sure. All right. Our next question is from Laura in Pennsylvania, who would like to know if lunging before riding is a good idea or not. So I, I, as far as a good idea, it really depends on um, what you're using it for. In my opinion, um, I think in general, for conditioning, um, that lunging on a lunge line or in a small uh, round pin it is going to imply more stresses on the limbs if, if the circle is fairly small radius um, but it, it's certainly great to train horses and um, training versus conditioning certainly we bid horses up and put them in the round pin and, and train them to round up and and um, move off their haunches and stuff and roll back um, all of that is, is certainly good uh, as well, it's a good good tool to kind of get the air out of a horse and um, if they're cold backed or something before you get on them. But to me, in general, larger circles, if you can get on that horse and you're not using it for training their their face or whatever, um, that that you're probably long term better off uh, with less musculoskeletal stress on their back in a bigger circle. All right. Thank you for addressing that. And would you, do you see much of a difference there in between uh, lunge lining and walkers, like the kinds of panels in between? Uh, Mimi had a question about that. I know some of the walkers can have a much wider radius circle than a lunge line. So do you feel more comfortable with that or with panels or with, with tying it to a walker? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I'm a lot more comfortable with a walker. You're, you're not, well, some of these exercisers, you can get them at a, at a pretty swift gait, but they are... Um, a little wider than you know the short lunge line at least. Um, um, there was a little bit part of that question was 
you know, is it okay to always go to the left? And I definitely believe that you should pretty equally change the directions that you're, that you're sending the horse if possible. Um, you know, unless, again, it's a training issue when it's a young horse that you're starting and maybe they're very left-handed or very right-handed and I want to work on, you know, things in one direction and flex them that direction uh, or the opposite or whatever. Um, but in general, I think some of the newer walkers are really nice. They absolutely are. We used to use them quite a bit. Uh, our next question is from Chelsea in Connecticut who would like to know your thoughts on hill work as a conditioning tool. So, um, jump in here. Um, well, I, I, sorry, go ahead. Okay, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I think hill work is um, incredibly helpful for conditioning, partly because, as I said before, it's a lot easier to get the heart rate increased with um, less stress on the, on the legs. Um, having said that, for quite a few years I lived in an area where we had no hills and you, you know you just have what you have so um, there are things you can do to to balance out if you don't have hills like I would do a lot of cavaletti work um, or even I would ride along a, uh, the edge of a like a plowed field um, to try to simulate sand to try to develop that um, you have to be careful because that can be really stressful on the legs too. But I think hills in general are a great way to build stamina without putting a lot of strain on the legs. All right. Thank you for that. And I want to share the results of our uh, latest poll real quickly. Do you monitor your horse's heart rate during and after exercise? 33% of you say yes. 67% of you say no. And this leads me to a question by uh, Don in the audience who would like to know where you can get a heart rate monitor to use during riding and how much do they cost? Um, oh, gosh. So there are a bunch of different vendors that sell these. They're mostly at probably, well, I was going to say they're mostly uh, directed at endurance riders, but that's actually not true. I know a lot of drivers that use them as well in three-day eventers. Um, I would bet you could probably locate them through a lot of uh, higher-end tack shops, but uh, Polar makes one. If you went to the website, I'm sure you could find merchants. Uh, Garmin also makes one. So there, there are a couple of different models. VMAX makes a, a heart rate monitor. Um, as far as cost, it depends a lot on what you want it to do. So the ones that are able to sort of tell you the altitude that you're riding at, the, the speed, you know, that have the GPS abilities, those are a lot pricier and maybe four to $500 for a model. A basic heart rate monitor is, is actually around 100 bucks at this point, uh, maybe a little bit more. So they're actually fairly uh, reasonable. All right. Thank you very much. And our next question is from Delia in Ken California. I'm not sure if I said your name right. hope so. Um, we'd like to know your opinion on conditioning and tying up. And has, she has a mare who ties it, has tied up a few times. Um, so I really feel for you, Delia. I mm. have had horses that tie up as well. And uh, it, can, it can be a really difficult, challenging problem. Um, I do think that what has, what has been most successful for me and the other people that I know that also successfully compete these horses is that um, it is really critical that they are looked every day. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, hard work, but they, I believe, and Todd, please jump in if you disagree, but I believe a lot of these horses just need to at least, even if it's um, whether 
I've already said lunging isn't optimal, but whether it's some lunging work, getting on them and maybe doing four to five miles walk trot, they just need to be moving around because a couple days of rest allows their muscles to build up enough glycogen that they then have a problem at, when, they're, when they're working. Um, so the horses that I've dealt with this, we try to, that they're out in pastures, so they are always outside, they're not in a stall, and coming into an event, we make sure that they are out doing something every day. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that totally, and, and um, you know, if you contrast the typical Arab or thoroughbred or thoroughbred cross, um, some of the sports we're lucky, like with endurance riding, those horses are generally managed outside no matter what. Um, so they, they almost always have pasture access where you look at a lot of the Western performance industry, uh, most of those horses are in the stall. So, um, you know, if you got sliding plates on their back feet, you know, uh, it, it's not real safe sometimes to turn some of those horses out. So, but as far as managing, tying up horses, uh, even with PSSM, the next question I see is about, um, yep, thank you. you know, turnout. <laughs> Turnout is really important. So if you can manage that horse with a minimum of 12 hours outside every day, but preferably constantly outside, and then just like Dr. Sleeper said, um, daily work is important. Uh, with PSSM, also a very important aspect is going to be their diet. So you have to reduce carbohydrates to a minimum and increase, in general, fat intake to a near maximum. Uh, but you should really get your veterinarian's advice on that. Um, but in general, the rule of thumb with diet changes in PSSM uh, would be low carbs, low soluble carb intake, and high fat intake. Uh, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as exercise, just like Dr. Sleeper said, daily turnout and daily exercise. All right, thank you for that. We're going to switch gears a little bit, talk a little bit about uh, <clears throat> excuse me, conditioning after injury, illness, or layoff. We had quite a few questions on this. Um, Todd, I think we had sort of a general recommendation for, the, for a lot of these questions. Oh, excuse me. Let me catch up here. So um, after uh, an injury, it really depends on what the injury is. But in general, I really think working with your, your veterinarian is very, very important from the start to make sure you have uh, accurate diagnosis. Um, you know, if, if this horse has had a serious injury, let's say a soft tissue injury, maybe a um, flexor tendon issue or a um, ligament issue, those, those tissues take a very long time to heal. Um, and you really need to work with your veterinarian, get the diagnosis properly confirmed, uh, and then potentially work with a trainer to get that, uh, or a rehab person to get that horse um, back into work. I mean, if you look at the different tissues, um, bone, tendon, ligament, those, the letters within each one of those words, that's how many months that tissue in general takes to heal. So a bone, four letters, it takes four months. A tendon, six letters, it takes six months. A ligament, eight months, potentially longer, uh, with a significant ligament injury to heal. So, um, you know, early diagnosis, ultrasound on soft tissue, stall rest, followed by really depending on what the lesion is, depending on how serious the injury is, maybe stall rest for a month and then upwards graded exercise that might start at a walking, daily walking in hand pro program after so many weeks of stall rest, 
on up towards maybe three, four months before you even back on that horse's back, working him under saddle. It may even be eight to 12 months before that horse is able to even consider um, higher levels of work, depending on the injury. Sure, and I just want to, again, emphasize the importance of working with your veterinarian on your horse's particular injury. We'd really love to be able to give everyone an answer on what you should do with your horse based on his injury, but even the same injury is so, can be so different between different horses, it's kind of hard to make that recommendation. All right, I'm going to move into endurance a little bit. We're actually out of time, but I think we're going to stick around for a few more minutes to uh, answer a couple more questions. We had so many good ones, and thank you all for your patience on this, and thanks to Todd for <laughs> you're having a hard time with, with the coughing, but really appreciate your help. I apologize. No, it's no problem. I just, not a big deal. Uh, okay, our first question, endurance on, from Suzanne in Nevada. This one's directed towards Meg. She says, is it true that you condition your endurance horses six days a week, and if so, what exactly is your program? So, um, and when do you work? <laughs> so Sorry. actually that falls under, um, my husband does a lot of work here for, for our horses. Um, I guess I would have to say we do close to that. Um, however, um, I want to say those are the horses that are actually 100 mile horses. My younger horses are not necessarily doing that kind of work. I also think it's really important that you don't think I'm, these horses are being ridden every day. Um, so basically, we were, we're very fortunate we have access to a Eurosizer type walker. And um, our horses that are 100 mile horses go in that walker four to five times a week for three hours each time they're in it. Um, we rehearse it. They're only walking. Okay, so I, they don't do any trot or canter. It's all at the walk. But they do basically three hours of probably four and a half mile an hour walking. Um, on top of that, so that's four to five days a week. On top of that, every one of them does one day of arena, sort of gymnastics slash dressage work, and one day of conditioning, and that may be eight to 16 miles of trot canter, maybe more canter, depending on what we're getting ready for. Um, so. So while we do a lot of days of work with them, a lot of that is at the walk. So I just, I think when you first read, when I first saw that question, I thought, wow, that's a lot. But um, you know, it, it, a lot of it is low impact work. All right, thank you for that. And Carol in California would like to know: Can you get in shape for a 50 mile ride without doing a 50 mile ride? Um, and I would say the oh. answer to this is absolutely, positively yes. Um, so I have never done 50 mile, a 50-mile ride, conditioning ride, to prepare for a 50-mile endurance ride. Okay, so I think this falls back into horses are amazing athletes, and um, your horse will be fit enough to do a 50-mile ride probably before you are. Um, I think what is important is that you either use um, shorter distances, whether it's limited distance endurance or competitive trail rides um, so that they are doing maybe you are doing 25 to 30 miles several times um, and by several times it might be you know every, once a month for several months or you want your horse doing miles but they I may all of my horses actually have the max they've done before they've done a 50 is maybe 30 miles okay so that jump you can do safely 
the important thing is, once again, you can't increase speed and distance at the same time. So if you bump up the distance, so your horse does his first 50, it's very important that you pace so that you're not going, you don't get caught up in the race and go along with people that are going faster than your horse is used to going. As long as you pace the way your horse is used to going um, and are consistent, your horse should be able to do it fine. All right. Very good advice. And we have, of course, a number of questions about other disciplines. And we have so many different scenarios that were given that we're probably going to have to address that sort of more generally as well. Todd, how are you doing over there? Uh-oh. I am back. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So uh, sports in general, uh, is this other discipline questions? OK. I would like to say there was earlier when we were talking about heart rate monitoring and stuff, um, I. You know, I do a lot of endurance vetting and, and um, have only ridden two, and I could tell a, a really nice joke or a country song about those two experiences on an endurance horse. But um, <laughs> the, the heart rate monitor is very valuable in that field. It, its application to Western sports is, is not very realistic. So, you know, when we monitor how Western-type horses are fit, m most often it's, you know, you, you're working them and you're doing some sliding stops or turnarounds or whatever, um, you know, your horse gets hot and they start breathing more rapidly and blowing. So you cool them out and you, you know, you rest them for a little bit, walk them around, cool them off, start over with another type interval. Um, so we, we monitor respiratory rates in general and, and sweating and stuff more than we do um, use heart monitors. I don't know anybody that does, but... I could start a trend. Um, so as far as um, conditioning other horses in other sports then, um, as far as the tools in Western um, type sports like we show Rainers, so that, that's the kind of tool that I would use as far as monitoring their, their fitness and whatnot. And you can certainly see their body change with a young horse that you've started um, like we talked about previously. But um, as far as one of the questions was regarding conditioning dressage horses and whatnot, I think dressage horses are somewhat similar. Um, the techniques and training and what we ask them to do is is a little bit um, analogous to the to the Western massage as far as reining. Um, I would say that in general, um, from my practice practice experience, I had some dressage clients, and and some of those horses. And I don't want to offend anybody, but some of those horses are potentially not as well conditioned as they could be. And part of that is we, I think both of those sports uh, uh, require a lot of mental training and a lot of uh, what you're training your horse to do physically. Um, but I think in general, a little more conditioning for some of those horses could be important. I think it's important for you to know how to um, analyze a horse's body condition to assess their weight and how much fat they're carrying. Uh, and where they're carrying that extra weight. Um, and if you get with your veterinarian, if you don't understand how to body condition score a horse, um, they can help you kind of design a specific training program to, to maybe help that horse lose weight. I think in general, when you're, no matter what the sport is, when you're starting a young horse, the techniques and the, the philosophy is, is very similar amongst the different sports. But the important part to recognize in all these different sports is we ask horses to do different types of exercises and repetitive, um, strenuous, gradually in 
increasing intensities and durations of that specific exercise that that horse is going to do for a living uh, is, is ultimately the most important part of, of achieving the higher levels of competition. Um, but the lower level stuff is pretty similar. Absolutely. Good recommendations. And I want to mention as well, and you touched on body condition a bit, we have a body condition score poster in a number of articles on that topic on thehorse.com. You might just search, do a search for those. And I also found it interesting, we had an article uh, in, the, in our news, um, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, on a study that looked at owners' perceptions of body condition score in their horses versus those of veterinarians. And it's interesting that the veterinarians um, tended to score the horses uh, as, at, a, at a higher body score than the owners. In other words, the owners did not seem to think that their horses were as fat as the veterinarians did um, on the, in a fairly consistent manner. So it's an article worth checking out. Take a look at that and take a look at those body condition score resources so that you can do that accurately. Um, right before we roll into our next question, I'd like to uh, put out a quick poll to our audience since we talked about different disciplines. Uh, in what activities do you participate in with your horse? Um, take a look at that. Our next question, uh, we got a few questions. Um, we'll take this one from Amber. When can you start riding a mare who fold and how strenuously? Um, that's a good question. Um, so I would not be afraid to get, I mean, I would be afraid to get on a couple of our brood mares because I'd get bucked off. But, um, <laughs> you know, after a mare folds, I'm assuming. It's a different job. <laughs> exactly. I'm assuming, you know, the foal is already weaned. So so that point, you know, any time. If, if, if it's a situation where a mare maybe lost a foal um, shortly after um, giving birth or whatever and, and you want to put her back to work, I would. I, you know that the uterus in, in a in the horse is amazing. It it involutes and and um, you know they can be carrying another foal by you know two or three weeks after they they had the last one. So I I wouldn't feel bad getting you know putting a horse um, back to groundwork certainly uh, within a week at all. I wouldn't hesitate to to start that early. All right. Perfect. And we had another question that I'm, I'm remembering, but I'm not seeing it in my list at the moment. We had a question from somebody who wanted to know about riding a mare that that was in foal. Yeah, how how much how strenuous should you can you get with a mare that's in foal yeah, at that's different a, that's, stages? That is another good question. So I inherited my daughter's show horse this year because um, she always gets the better ones and I get the throwbacks. Um, so uh, I thought, well, um, I'll breed this mare because she's very well bred. Uh, for a rainer and I bred her and I, I still wanted to show her so um, she was very fit. Um, she'd been in the trainers for upwards of a year before coming home uh, and my daughter getting a new horse um, so she maintained that fitness like we talked about. They can maintain that if they're very fit. You can rest them you know six or eight weeks and they typically maintain that fitness so I brought her home, bred her and put her back to work um, and I you know gave the embryo time to attach, <laughs> you know, basically two weeks. I was honestly riding her with probably within two weeks uh, of having bred her. Um, she still bred. I showed her at the first show um, and sold her to, to a really great place in Mexico. So I, I, I think people can ride bred mares once they are kind of beyond that time of early embryonic loss. Um, if you want to be super safe, you should probably wait a little longer than I did. Um, but outwards, anywhere from, say, 
45 to 60 days in foal, most of those mares can be, be ridden, um, certainly lightly, uh, for a long time, but even competitively shown uh, until they're probably six or seven months bred. All right. Well, great. Thank you for that. And just real quickly, the results of our poll um, and what activities do you participate with your horse? 23% of our audience is in endurance riding, 20% in Western disciplines, 39% in English disciplines, 8% in driving, and 59% of you are primarily pleasure riding. We've got just a couple more questions we're going to hit before we let you all go. Um, conditioning different ages of horses. This was a fairly common set of questions as well. Um, many people asked about any special considerations for conditioning older horses. Well, I will try to answer that. So uh, maybe we should have the poll about all the different sports before we started this thing. That's interesting <laughs> statistics. So I think in general an older horse, to me, unless you're talking about um, horses with some diseases that occur in older age, uh, like Cushing's disease or, or PPID, um, if it's just an older horse, many, many older, uh, you know, many very competitive endurance horses are, are getting on up there in age, so horses are pretty amazing if they've been fit throughout their, their life and been an athlete, they can work well up into the, their 20s uh, easily. Um, so if they don't have a lameness problem, if they weren't laid off from a musculoskeletal injury, um, then I think I would bring them back to work pretty much the same as I would any other horse that has been ridden, you know, previously. Sure. And I think um, if, if any of you are not familiar with the, uh, an endurance horse called Elmer Bandit, uh, who recently, I think he held the lifetime mileage record, and I forget exactly how old he was when he was euthanized, but he was in his upper 30s and competed shortly before he was, he was euthanized for non-competition you know, non related reasons. He's a really inspirational story. Do a search for him on our website. Okay, and our next question is from Maureen in Tennessee who would like to know uh, about conditioning yearlings. How would you start them out? <clears throat> so Dr. Sleeper and I talked about this, uh, and I, I am assuming that maybe this person raises maybe halter horses or horses for lunge line class or something. Uh, I think it's just really important in a young horse, knowing their skeletal system is immature, um, and you know those bones are softer. Um, they haven't been conditioned yet. Um, that they're, the whole process is related to stress and repetitive work, um, and, and they can get injured really easily. So watching closely for splints, uh, watching closely for any soft tissue swelling, watching closely for lameness. Um, don't start them out in a very very deep um, footing, deep sand. Uh, round pen or whatever. Um, I think you need to start slow, you know, maybe five or ten minutes type slow, depending on what the horse is. If it's a kept in a stall versus outside, a little bit different approach. But um, you know, start it maybe three times a week at a at a less than fifteen minute type situation and see what you have, and just use your common sense as far as monitoring for problems and gradually increase the duration. Sure. And uh, Gina in our live audience would like to know, does uh, the, the optimal time to start conditioning depend on the breed? She's heard that uh, Arabians grow slower than, for example, quarter horses and wonders if you should start them later or, or whatnot. That's because they're not as smart, isn't that right? <laughs> oh, no. no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So, I think half the audience just hung up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, 
I, I, didn't we, we talked about this. I mean, basically, skeletally, they are all the same. They may be different sizes, but their maturation of their skeleton is very, very similar as far as the time periods that their um, growth plates close and stuff. Is, is that what you'd say, Dr. Sleeper? Yep, I'd agree. So I think that there are a lot of differences just based on the industry and what sort of people do as standards. But um, probably as far as the horse's true maturation and development, there, there isn't much difference between horses. Okay. And uh, we're going to take just a couple more questions. Uh, Deb in Pennsylvania would like to know, what do you feel are the best methods for developing a horse's top line? So, uh, you want me to take this, or you, you want this? It doesn't matter. Um, um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, for me, um, and I think that this is, maybe it's good for me to answer, because I think that there are a lot of um, endurance horses out there that don't have a very good top line. I um, would agree with that. Uh, hey. So no, I seriously. Think that, I think that, um, you know, there's sort of this, uh, this is a little bit of a soapbox, but, you know, you see the classic advertisement, um, Arab, um, uh, very willing to go, would make a great endurance horse, and basically that means he's probably not trained. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that that actually happens a lot. There are a lot of horses out there competing that, you know, you look at them and you think, wow, if that horse actually were trained and learned how to balance himself and use himself, how incredible would he be? Um, so for me, I think that the most important part of the training really is the earliest stages where they learn how to carry themselves correctly, how to raise their back, um, not brace against, you know, pulling with their head inverted and just developing the underside muscles in their neck. And and for me, that that is that early period of, of lunging, although I don't do a, a lot of time on the lunge, but I spend enough time that hopefully the horse learns how to do it without the rider holding them in a position. Um, and it sounds like Todd probably does that in a round pen. Um, and those kinds of exercises, I think, are, are really helpful for the top line. All right. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree totally. And, and um, so, you, yeah, you do that on a lunge line, and I'll bit them up in the round pen. And... You know, use the use the split reins, and get them to arch, get off the bit, and and arch their back, and move with their head low, mm -hmm. and work at a at a trot and a lope, and also something I probably do that I think develops the back, and probably you don't do, can't do on a lunge line at least, is step in front of them and, and make them roll back, and um, that I think that's very effective. Um, All right, perfect. Thank you. And we also had, I want to take just one more question. Uh, we had a number of people uh, ask about splint boots and whether or not you found them effective during conditioning. So my personal feeling about splint boots is um, I, I will use them certainly in horses that are likely to hit themselves. I think that most, or at least um, <laughs> more than half of the horses that hit themselves will stop hitting themselves as they either get stronger or as um, the shoeing maybe gets better or the trimming is better. I think that often that is a problem that's associated with their balance, the foot balance. Um, but I try 
whenever possible to not use splint boots. I think they build up a lot of heat in the legs and uh, you know, when the risk of them hitting themselves is is lessened by either their balance is improved and they're stronger, um, I try to get away from splint boots. Yeah, I, I would I would add that it really depends on, like you said, um, somewhat of their balance, but also their conformation. Mm. Um, and then in, in the sport of reining, at least, you know, when you're turning a horse around, it, whether it's a finished horse or a young horse, they when they're young, they tend to step on themselves a lot. So we use not only splint boots but bell boots to try to prevent them from getting cuts in their heel or cuts from one foot stepping on the other coronary band or whatever. But in the other place, they'll use not necessarily splint boots, but um, a, a combination of of um, a splint boot and a bell boot at the knee um, to protect the, the back of the knee, the accessory carpal bone, because they also bang their, their carpal bone uh, on the opposite leg at the back of the leg um, when they turn around really aggressively and, and don't clear that very well to start with. Um, so, but I think splint boots as far as protection also from, you know, a sliding plate hitting the front leg, um, that's just a different situation. So, um, when you when you got a horse that stops deep and young horses that, you know, so we use them a lot more from a standpoint of, of a horse getting a cut as well. Yeah, and actually I should add too, I mean, I my statement is, was mostly for horses like pleasure or trail horses. Um, for my young horses that are starting out doing maybe some schooling in the ring with some lateral work or a lot of sort of, and for those of you that do dressage, my very basic dressage, um, I, I protect their legs too because I think it's very easy for them to step on themselves in that situation as well. All right, well, great tips. Thank you so much. And uh, that's about all the time we have today. We're actually, we've gone way over the time we had today. But thank you. I'd like to thank Drs. Uh, Sleeper and Holbrook so much for their time and, of course, to our audience for participating. There were a lot of really great questions today. And this session will be archived very soon on horse.com, probably within the next few business days. Uh, I'd also encourage you to check out more conditioning tips under the sports medicine topic at thehorse.com. And last but not least, thanks to Farnham for bringing this free session to you today. Check them out at www.farnhamhorse.com. Have a wonderful evening, everyone, and keep those horses fit.